Welcome to the very first episode of the Lighthouse Podcast. I'm your host, Kenford Batana, and I'm excited. This is this is the pilot. This is the premiere. This is the the starting point of a of a journey essentially that I'm doing in real time, documenting in real time. I started this podcast because I knew I knew in my heart that one day I just want to help people as big of a wave as I can. And I know that involves being on camera and speaking to an audience, whether that's online or in person. So I've realized in the recording of these episodes, especially these intros, these intros, you guys, are the hardest because you turn that camera on and all your self-conscious residues get brought up it's great but i figured i'd get familiar with being on camera with being with people that i've pedestalized and you know just getting myself familiar with the scene you experience breeds familiarity right the more you do something the better you'll get at it and i figured why not just start now no one's watching who cares just start and this is that this is that for me, right? So while I'm starting, I'm focusing on spirituality and quantum biology. Those two areas are, I feel, very fruitful for people to learn about and apply. And I'm honored to have on my first episode a quantum biologist. Her name is Dr. Sarah Pugh. She is the very first guest that we filmed for this podcast, and I'm super grateful that she decided to come on. She is a PhD biochemist, but in in the in the core of her is a pure curiosity and exploration for all things science and spiritual, esoteric, metaphysical, you name it. And she is definitely one who connects the dots and makes the strangest yet most amazing connections. I had a blast jamming with her about quantum biology, how a, a spiritual lens goes into this, why this paradigm matters more than, I'm not going to say matters more, but it's more all-encompassing than simply focusing on just food, just exercise, and just supplements. So this is that conversation. This is my initiation to this rabbit hole for you. And I can't wait to get into it. Let's get started, shall we? Sarah, welcome to the show. Hello, Kenford. Thank you very much for having me on. Very excited about today's episode. It's the very first one ever. And today I want to really emphasize, right now I want to set the goal for this episode. This particular episode is aimed the spiritual community and health conscious community in particular, because in those communities, the emphasis tends to be around food, exercise, and supplements, and etc. Right. But when I talk to them about light, physics, and quantum biology, there seems to be this implicit assumption that. That's all cool. I bet that's valid information, but I'm already doing enough to counter the effects of artificial light, non-native EMF. There's this sneaky assumption that you can out-chemistry a detrimental physical factor. And 
after diving into this rabbit hole myself, I found that to be not true at all. So before we dive into elucidating on that topic, that distinction between chemistry and physics, food to light, could you give you a little background and context about yourself in both spiritual and science? Okay, so uh, when it ca- when it comes to science, my background is biochemistry, but then also biophysics, because I did my degree in biochemistry and genetics. So that's what we were talking about, where you'd understand how metabolism happens or food or the microbiome. But then my PhD was biophysics. So it was looking at how proteins fold. And I did a lot of fluorescence, something called FRET. But I, I made no link whatsoever between what I was doing as a PhD student then, between what I do now, helping people manage their light environment. And after that, I did a postdoc, which was on statins and cholesterol. And in, in between that, I've done other things to do with science, like working on a variety of different organisms from moss to bacteria, different receptors like dopamine receptors, because dopamine is something that we're going to talk about today, because that's very light influence. Yeah. And that hugely influences our mood and addictions and things like that. Uh, and then I got very disillusioned with science, as you can imagine, working on statins, because I'd already seen through basically some of the misinformation. I left in 2008. I became a Pilates teacher first, but then that very quickly sucked me into things like Reiki, Bowen technique, myofascial release. And I learned hypnosis because uh, I was interested. I I was also at that time into into Christianity, uh, and I had a grounding in that. But when I got into hypnosis, my mind got opened up to sort of more deeper aspects of mysticism, which would be things like Meister Eckhart, uh, St. Thomas Aquinas for the Christian side, and then Sufism and the Kabbalah for more sort of deep, and it's sort of like a broader scope of, of spirituality. And then this has obviously evolved because I've been working with the public for sort of 10 years now. So when it comes to spirituality, I have a really good understanding of different aspects of it because I get clients who some of them are Hindus, some are pagans, some of them are spiritual but not religious, some are atheists. So over the years, I've got my own gnosis or ideas about how the universe works, but also I've had a lot of interaction with other people and I'm very open-minded. I don't think anything's nonsense. I'll always look deeper into it from, you know, even diving into what we'd call the ether, sort of the fabric of the universe, but still keeping myself grounded because you can get lost mentally. I think if you get too deep into spirituality and then you lose touch with nature and other people in, in a different way. And then I got into quantum biology. Actually, it was basically tying everything together because there was these problems and things I couldn't solve in myself and in other people. And that was when I got very deeply into light and then water, not the water we drink, but the water we make in our own bodies via the mitochondria. And with water comes things like deuterium, which is like a big hydrogen, which we might talk about later because it's very important. But but then the, the structured water sort of got many layers to it in our bodies because, first of all, it can lubricate all of our cellular machinery. So we have less friction. So we basically move better, but it also acts as us as our primary battery, because people think the ATP, which is energy that comes out by mitochondria, which again is something very important in quantum biology, that they make our energy only. It's the way the water, melanin and superconductors in our bodies work as well to give us energy. And because we are 99% per molecule water, it's obviously something really important that we like to neglect. 
Uh, and then when it comes to how how do I, as a biochemist, bridge the gap between spirituality and explain it to my friends who've got no idea about one or the other? Because I often just say to people, well, we can look at things as waves or particles because we've got the wave-particle duality, but we always forget that, that we're both. And we focus too much on ourselves being a pile of molecules or a pile of particles. That, that's the physical world. Whereas actually, if we think about it, we're a wave as well. And even if somebody doesn't know anything much about physics, they'll know from school about waves, light waves and electromagnetic waves. And if we're a wave, we're obviously going to be influenced by microwaves, cell phones, the sun, blue light, red light. I just find it really interesting of how can we look at all this different light environment that we have like a diet and make sure we eliminate the junk light or minimize it and focus on the good light and then be able to explain it to people in a simple way so it doesn't sound like woo-woo and be able to help sort of tie it in with what they know because I think you're correct that a lot of people who are spiritual or already in touch with nature but they might not know about grounding with bare feet or, or, or really understand the importance of it or I'm not we're not we can go into food if you want to we, I'll let you ask the questions but I think sometimes people think just because they say read the bible and not do anything act on it like say an intention or go out and spread joy that they've done it for the day so again the, the quantum aspect of, of what we think that's again something which we forget our thoughts have power as well and this comes into what the work of people like Veda Austin who when if people are interested, I would say she's a very high up there water researcher, maybe a bit more accessible than people like Dr. Pollock, where she can embed intention into water, freeze it and reliably create the same pattern. But, but people who are interested in things like this, especially spiritual people, will know that there are plenty of incantations you can say over water that come from Hinduism. People know about making holy water. So for people who are spiritual, it's a way to say, actually, People might have laughed at you about this, but there is now a lot of emerging science about how water holds memory, not just biochemical memory, but also sort of intentional memory. And how can we use that to our advantage? Right. Yes. For the spiritual people and quantum biology, I think there's very there's a lot of neat parallels. So you said that you understand the spiritual world and what that entails. A good summary could be our egos have separated us and individualized us as separate from God. Yeah. And this takes place in our minds, right? Yeah. I think quantum biology is the perfect physical reflection or parallel. We have unknowingly in the physical world dissociated ourselves from nature. And that means apart from earth from which we are made of. So. The two are exactly perfect fractals. And so I think a lot of spiritual people can connect to that parallel. And so scientifically, there's not much context for quantum biology. It's very esoteric and up and coming. So a spiritual person or a health conscious person might be listening to this and is saying something like, look, I have a, a pristine diet. I exercise consistently. I take all these supplements. Yes, this artificial light stuff sounds, you know, harmful. It's very interesting, but that should be able to offset 
artificial light, non-native EMF. And I think that's a very, that's a naive assumption. Could you explain why you don't want to think that, why the physics would be something you would want to address in of itself? First of all, when it comes to all our spiritual practices, they all developed, you know, right back from, we won't go into different civilizations with it, but there will have been times when there was no technology. Okay, we'll just look in the past sort of 10,000 years uh, to keep it simple. So people's practices back then would have had massive health benefits, but we weren't fighting against because we haven't just got the problem of technology and blue light. We've also got less magnetic fields because the uh, magnetism of the earth has been gradually decreasing because Gauss was able to develop a way to measure it. So magnetism is a hugely important part of how we are able to have good good potential on our cells. So just to keep it simple, to have a good redox uh, so that the cell has the correct charge. And and that would be a negative charge, not negative energy, just a negative charge. And the ATPase in the mitochondria that spins, that's a little magnet as well. So magnetism of the right kind from the earth is really important for us. And we've got less of that. We've we've also got less oxygen now than we've got 10% less. So we have issues with energy there. And we've got more deuterium, which is the heavy hydrogen, because it gradually goes up. So we've got these things against us that are sort of invisible forces. And then to add on to that, we've got the artificial blue light, which which we've had for a reasonable amount of time. And I would say the biggest problem with blue light is it disrupts our sleep. And we all agree that sleep is the most important thing for keeping us healthy, whether you're talking to someone like Brian Johnson, who's the most tested man on the planet, or somebody like Dr. Cruz, who that's his life work and has looked into it in massive detail. And Andrew Huberman, people like that, we don't dispute sleep is vital. And the way people underestimate how much blue light they absorb is it's not just in our eyes, because obviously we look at screens, our blue people who even people that wear sort of blue blockers like, like this, th- these could be scratched and they're letting blue light in. We also both of us pop them on. <laughs> yes. So what what, ha- what can happen is we can absorb a lot more blue light than we think. E- even if we spend time outside, we might not have a, a red filter on our phones. You know, we absorb it through our skin, especially in the summer. Now that it's nice and warm. We wear, well, here it is. We wear less clothes. And the problem, first of all, with the blue light is it's going to raise the cortisol and interfere with how much melatonin you make. And the balance of cortisol and melatonin is like a seesaw. So if you've got too much cortisol and not enough melatonin, in simple words, you're not going to sleep properly. And it's cortisol isn't anything bad. The blue light I'm referring to is not the blue light that comes out of the sun, because that's the way our bodies tell the time. And when we stop being able to tell the time properly biologically, then we get into a pickle or a mess. I'm talking more about the artificial blue light. So that's a very simple sort of explanation that, you know, even if you think, it, oh, this blue light's an issue, I spend a lot of time outside, that's great. But you still might be watching TV or Netflix at 10 a.m. And whenever you look at screens, the, the blue light that comes out of those basically tells your brain it's 12 noon and even if somebody is very spiritual or has been out for a 10 mile run and a hike outside if they go on their phone at 10 o'clock at night when they want to sleep and their brain thinks it's 12 noon and then they stop all their melatonin production they basically spoiled everything they did sort of mm-hmm. sleep wise throughout the day so, so so that's the problem with the blue light that's the first problem the second problem with blue light is 
It can raise blood sugar and insulin. And people who are health conscious, we all agree that high blood sugar and high insulin, uh, it causes problems in the body. It, it can damage the blood vessels. It's inflammatory. And it doesn't matter if you're a doctor or a scientist or a plant-based or a carnivore. We all agree we don't want high blood sugar. Uh, and blue light can raise blood sugar. First of all, it's it's the way that there's a, there's a peptide called POMC, and it, it gets chopped up into lots of other peptides that are really important, which we won't talk about now. But when we're exposed to just blue light, and, and you can measure this yourself with the blood sugar measure, and it's also very standard in the literature, it, the blue light causes POMC to be chopped up into something called ACTH, which raises your cortisol. So that's a stress hormone, and that pushes your blood sugar up. But also it causes something called CLIP to be produced, and that stimulates insulin. So you basically get the effect of eating tasty food without having any food. And then this can push your blood sugar up. So this is particularly relevant for people who say, well, I'm doing everything right, but my blood sugar is still not brilliant. I haven't got a very good HbA1c. I exercise a lot. I you know, eat clean. What, what can it be? And, and a lot of the time it is the blue light and also things like circadian rhythm being out of match. So by circadian rhythm, we just mean body clocks. And we're talking just about sort of the light aspect. I know Dr. Sachin Panda's written books about body clocks and eating windows, and people can grasp that, oh, I shouldn't be eating before bed or eating too often. But then Dr. Panda hasn't gone into light very much. Maybe it's coming in his next book. But again, it, the light I found can be the real kicker for, for people who are struggling with, I would say, sort of blood sugar that's not quite as good as they'd like it to be. Maybe they have some weight that won't quite go and they can't work out why, because there's another really important hormone called leptin that basically mm -hmm. manages our appetite. And it also acts like an accountant. So it tells the body how much fat or energy you've got to use the next day. And leptin ties into the leptin melanocortin pathway. So, so this is very light driven because leptin is in fat cells, which is un underneath our skin. So it's right there waiting to, to have a conversation with the light. And having a leptin problem stems from having excessive or incorrect exposure to blue light and not observing things like sunrises, sunsets, and allowing your body clock to be set naturally by sunlight, not to be confused by phones. So that would be the aspect of blue light. So it doesn't mean that you know, we have to throw out all our tech or anything. It's just about learning when should I be blue blocking? Why opening windows, even a crack is really important because remember light's a particle and a wave. So it can get through a tiny crack and we've got photoreceptors on our skin and eyes to absorb the light. It's just, again, about being aware and Again, not everyone has issues with their weight, but then light problems with blue light can cause sleep issues. Like I said, it can raise cortisol and people complain about being stressed. But also the other aspects of light, which we'll probably get into later, is they're really important for making neurotransmitters. And something people have heard of a lot is dopamine. And too much looking at screens or blue lights is going to steal your dopamine. And then you're going to go and try and look for other things to get dopamine from. And this can range from food to drugs to more screen time, or it just makes people feel unmotivated or depressed. So th that's why I would say to people that 
being aware of blue light is is important and also is something that the who even the the, the who have classified as as a car, a class 2b carcinogen because they've got lots of studies on people that work night shifts and there is a correlation between excessive blue light exposure and cancers especially breast cancer and prostate cancers but there are others as well this is in part because it just simply disrupts people's sleep and then people can't do something called autophagy and apoptosis at night because first of all they're either not to sleep or they haven't got enough melatonin which powers these processes and as you said earlier you can't out supplement a bad diet or a bad light diet and there are many many reasons why you can't just take melatonin and think everything's going to be all right because it's a completely different molecule that gets made in a factory versus what you produce yourself and your body knows i want to there's a lot to unpack there so three subthreads are melatonin's decreasing affecting us negatively blue light telling us it's 12 p.m all day would affect the clocks and coordination cellular coordination in our bodies and three would be what was the third one? I'll get back to it. But the first one I want to explore is melatonin. I think that's a very important molecule that gets overlooked and it ties heavily into why food can't fix a light problem. Can you tie that melatonin story into mitochondria, heteroplasmy, autophagy, that thread? Yes. Okay. So, so I suppose, for, first of all, for people who've never heard of melatonin before, where does it come from? So it, yes. people used to think it's just the pineal gland. So for people who are spiritual, that's another favorite gland because it makes other things which people are interested in. But it's not just, it doesn't just come from there. The mitochondria, which are our sort of cellular batteries, but also the mitochondria make light and water for us as well and carbon dioxide but they also make melatonin and then there are other cells that can make melatonin for themselves too so, so actually it's not just the brain that makes melatonin so we've got multiple melatonin factories all over our bodies and the way it gets made is the trigger is light in the morning the uva light because that triggers the production of serotonin which is not just a happy chemical it's people think of it as that but for simplicity we'll just say it's a hormone that regulates mood and then that we build a nice pile of serotonin and then that gets made into melatonin later and what's happened is the body has sort of light stamped this melatonin so it's basically a hormone of light and darkness so at night the melatonin gets we we turn our serotonin into melatonin, assuming it's dark enough and we haven't drunk loads of caffeine before bed or taken cordyceps, mushrooms or anything else that can lower melatonin. So the, the biochemical aspect of melatonin is, is it, it regulates sex hormones. So it regulates things like estrogen and testosterone through luteinizing hormone. It also controls apoptosis. So that would be when cells that are supposed to die, die. And autophagy, we would just say that's sort of getting rid of cellular waste. So it can be waste inside or outside the cell and it's unfolded proteins and things like that. 
And also uh, melatonin is important in preventing cancer because that would be the sort of autophagy and the apoptosis side. But it also, like I said, it collected a load of light throughout the day, which it then releases internally inside our bodies because there's a quantum way of thinking about biochemistry and the sort of traditional way of receptors binding into ligands. Or people, we just say a lock and a key, which does work, but it doesn't answer all of the fundamental questions in biochemistry and what's really going on inside our bodies. It's like a really complicated light show and different things in our bodies produce different, slightly different colours or wavelengths of light. And that's another layer of how things communicate. For example, I'll just use bacteria because they glow or, or fluoresce about 100 times more than our own cells. So our immune system that's blind, it's got no eyes or nose or anything. It can chase them around the body and it's all based on light. And then if you say, look at something like cholesterol and then all the sex hormones and what colour light they emit, that they can have a conversation with each other inside with light. Then when it comes to mitochondria, I mentioned earlier that they also make light. So they can talk to the, the immune system and other cells and the gut microbiome again makes light. So tying back to melatonin, it's not just about making something in a factory and hoping it's going to have the same properties as what we make because it's lost its light. It's like buying a torch without a battery in it and trying to use it, whereas the, the melatonin we produce has got the light information as well. And this is just an example of what you mentioned right at the beginning is that even though this is all founded in, in quantum physics, we still don't know a lot about the quantum side of, of our bodies. And, and in a hundred years, we'll probably laugh at ourselves of all the stupid things we did because we didn't understand quantum physics. So we just simply don't have the detecting devices at the moment to be able to see this light show going on. But, but we know that, that that it happens. Right. Could you expand more on the notion of light turning something into serotonin, for example? Let's tie this into the neurochemistry neurotransmitter conversation where dopamine is depleted by blue light, but yet UV light increases serotonin and dopamine. I don't think a lot of people know about that. Light changes chemicals or something. The only thing that's mainstream and is known about that is vitamin D, but there's way more that people don't know. Oh, what do you mean? How does light alter bonds and things? That starts to get into water as well, because none of these molecules in the body just travel about by themselves. They, they, we ha they have a hydration shell around them, and so do the proteins. So the, the, the way in which the light interacts with the hydration shell or the water around the, the molecules that we make ourselves is also part of the way the molecules have a conversation. So, so nothing exists in isolation in the body that you could have the right amount of say neurotransmitters but you, you you may be deficient in the amount of structured water around them so you've just got not quite as much structured water as you should have so the whole oil system can't communicate as beautifully as it could so the the way it would work would be when you look at a, the structure of a molecule the, the electrons can occupy different orbitals like we will just say like say there's a building and there's like a ground floor a middle floor and a top floor you can put light in and the electrons can can jump to different orbitals. So we can't see this yet. We, we can infer it because you can shine light onto something. The electrons will jump to a different orbital. And then as they come down, they'll emit light uh, of various colors. That's what I used to do in a lab. I used to shine 
green light into a onto a die and then it would the electrons would jump it would they, then they would drop down and they would emit a light that would then stimulate another die which i had attached somewhere else on the protein mm-hmm. and then this would give me information so, so that's how in the body that the light can influence the, these electrons and inside ourselves we can make uv light uh, as well and there are ways in which UV light, for people who've done chemistry, it, it can break bonds as well. So, so it's not just this idea of electrons jumping up into orbitals. So what what, the, what I'm trying to get to is we can a molecule can look the same, say by mass spec or NMR, the structure's the same, but the electronic arrangement or the quantum state of that molecule is, isn't the same. And this is where the deficit in what we can detect and our understanding is, although we know it happens based on projects like mine that, that, that were done in, in a lab. So, so that, that's how light can, it can influence biochemistry in a way that it would be functional for a human. And just to say that some people who are very into technology didn't used to think that quantum physics could happen in the body because it's too warm and too wet, but that's not the case at all. In 2007, with the experiments on photosynthesis, that's when we realized that we are a quantum being, although a lot of people knew already that was what really put it on the mark to say, look, this isn't silly. Quantum physics happens in warm and wet things. Right. Yes. Could you explain the mitochondria story of heteroplasmy? I think that's super important. What this, as we age, every 10 years, our levels of heteroplasmy increase. So therefore, we our mitochondria become less and less functional but unfortunately you can get we don't all start equally you can unfortunately inherit bad mitochondria from your parents so we don't all start at the same place so that's another big issue is that people talk about oh we you know we need to have good mitochondrial function but nobody actually explains what, what it means but the problem with the heteroplasmy rates are it can scare people because it makes them think well i've got no hope well, if you don't look after your mitochondria at all and you don't take on board or learn any of this, then your heteroplasmy rate is going to be even more than 10% because you can, 10% is the average. Whereas if you compl- if you were dreadful to yourself and abused yourself in a quantum way, it would be quick. And if you were willing to learn about quantum biology, because there are lots of layers to it, different ways in which you can slow slow this down, you can also affect, you can also affect how quickly you age. So I don't want to say that we can't slow down aging, but, you know, prevent aging, but by understanding heteroplasmy at the quantum level, I think that people will be able to, you know, live to to, to like 150 or something like that. Right. And the two in the quantum biology world, the two strongest factors that can slow down heteroplasmy are said to be sunlight and cold. So we've unpacked sunlight a bit because melatonin regulates autophagy, apoptosis, repairs those transport proteins. You can go into that if you want, but how does cold come into this picture as well? Okay. So I I think this is like, first of all, with the sunlight, 
to keep it simple, it's sort of it's we're like a solar panel and one way so we can absorb energy and electrons and photons from the sun. So with food, I get back to your question, that's only about a third of our electrons or energy. So we get the rest from from grounding, from sunlight and, and stuff like that. So first of all, there's the energetic side of it. So if we don't have enough energy, then we haven't got enough energy to repair ourselves and and live basically. And you can't just eat more to overcome this. It doesn't work like that. It'll make it worse. But also the important part of being in the sun is it makes melanin. And even though people are frightened of the sun, that's again, a lot of misinformation and people can look into that. But in order to build our own natural sun callus and our own tan and and make our own melanin, we can't just go out in the sun in the middle of the day when the UVB is out and burn. We have to build up gradually and make our own natural sunblock, which was done by going out early in the morning. And we can then expose ourselves to the sun later in the day. And we have to have a specific amount of UVI. So we can't just go out at nine o'clock and expect to make vitamin D. We have to go out at special times. But also at the same time, the tanning wavelengths are, are the UVB wavelengths. So we need to get out and see sun at the same time as we would be doing our vitamin D. And this melanin, people think it's just a thing for tanning, but it's one of the most fascinating molecules on the planet because it, it's like a black diamond, actually, as in diamonds reflect everything and melanin absorbs everything. So I'm talking about sort of radiation now from everything from light all the way up to x-rays. And this can be interpreted in a very spiritual way or or a very biochemical way as well. So it doesn't only do that. It also is really important in, like I was saying, the water in our bodies acts as a semiconductor and the melanin is vital for this. So it's part of our battery And when it comes to melanin, we've got neuromelanin, which is inside us as well. So that would be in very important places like the substantia nigra is where people have heard of it because of Parkinson's disease and it can get destroyed completely. Then we've got neuromelanin all over the nervous system as well. And it's also said to be in the immune system as well. So we've basically got inside melanin and outside melanin. So, So in order to make the inside melanin doing cold thermogenesis, it not only massively improves of hormonal function and leptin and insulin resistance, it also causes us to make a lot of light inside, which would be UV light. So that's a way that we can make melanin or neuromelanin on the inside. So, so say somebody like me that lives somewhere quite cold, I can make a lot of neuromelanin in the winter and, and in the summer, I do have enough sun to be able to make a tan And what sometimes happens is, and people may have seen this or observed this themselves, they've gone away on holiday, flown back, and their tan seems to have gone over 24 hours. Not completely, because the body wanted the melanin on the skin so much, it kind of sucked it in. Because obviously the inside melanin is more important. Because yes, sure, we can protect ourselves with a suntan against the outside, but really the neuromelanin, which is inside the brain and the the body, is the really important melanin. And when it comes to healing from, say, neurological diseases or brain injuries or something quite serious, I would say that the thing that gets neglected by so many people is melanin. We People talk about using peptides or growth hormone, or I'm trying to think of all sorts of things, lowering inflammation, ketogenic diets. They're all really important, but they're not addressing have I am I have I got enough neuromelanin? And the only way you can get that is from the sun. 
yes, there are foods that contain melanin like squid ink oil and shaga mushroom, but it's just not going to be the the volume that the sun can make. And a lot of what we've talked about already is our bodies like to make stuff ourselves. We can't just put things in and hope, oh, we'll put some squid ink in and it'll make it into neuromelanin. We, we have to go by the natural route. And, and I've learned you can't cheat Mother Nature. So there's a lot more than to a tan than just a- aesthetics. It, it's sort of an extra sort of melanin storage place as well. And and you know you can you can tell as someone's aging you can see the the loss of melanin or, or sometimes people who would just look very unwell you can just tell that there's it's just a complete lack of of sunlight but I think people associate going out in the sun with feeling better and the only issue is you'll spoil all of that by wearing sunblock because it basically blocks about ninety five percent of of the the sun so that that's another problem the cold therapy people are a bit they don't really understand it properly because it's very there's a lot more to it than than the hormones again because it, it can be part of it, it's it's a way when if you think about cooling something you cool a machine and it functions even more efficiently you can get your electron transport chain to whiz along so it pr- produces energy and but it does it in a very clean way and also like I was saying that a lot of people don't know about the cold therapy and the UV light and cold therapy feels uncomfortable, like going out in the sun feels nice, but you've got to sort of psych yourself up. And the other thing about cold therapy, just to loop back to the dopamine and the neurotransmitters, it's a way cold therapy will make your body produce more dopamine and neuro and noradrenaline or norepinephrine, I think people call it as well. But also cold therapy or cold plunges on your face increase oxytocin. And oxytocin is a bit like BDNF. It's in that pathway that it can help with neuroplasticity. So this is, again, back to learning new habits, but also building new synapses, which would be to sort of regenerate your brain, again, back to the subject of not wanting to age. Yes. So on what not wanting to age, you spoke on neuromelanin and melanin. Yeah, I think melanin is super fascinating. And you said that we can take that melanin from the outside and the inside. And does the inside melanin, is the effects of that because of the light inside charge separating the water, creating those free electrons, running those electron transport chains, giving it more energy? Yes, in part, but it's also part of the water network structure, the second battery. So we've Mm -hmm. got that aspect as well. So it's it's the water because with the work of Gilbert Ling, even though people thought he was a crackpot, he was actually right about the, the high energy phosphate bond wasn't as high energy as people thought. And new research, especially people like Dr. Pollock, have alluded to it. It just takes time for this paradigm shift to happen. And the melanin is vital in the, the semiconduction and the water network in the body as well. So there's, but I think there's also more about melanin that we don't fully understand yet. I mean, maybe Dr. Cruz knows some more about it because he probably is the melanin expert on the planet, but it's, it's one of these things that's hugely overlooked and again, like I was saying, it does occur in other in other things in nature as well. Well, I mean, all mammals have it. Well, birds do as well. So it's ubiquitous. Right. So another thing that the spiritual community tends to take on a high pedestal is the concept of detoxification. And you know that the quantum people look at it a little differently. We like to say 
you redox before you detox, right? And so could you explain what redox is and why you'd want to build that up before you do all the detoxes, the juice cleanses, et cetera? Okay, because actually technically redox just means reduction oxidation and it describes... First of all, from being a chemistry, it would be most of the reactions in the body are redox, and, and it just means electrons get passed forwards and backwards. So it's loss or gain of electrons. So it's like anything to do with redox suggests that at some point that it's going to involve charge, positive or negative, and electrons are going to get passed around something. When we, I'll use an example for detox, detox and magnetism because it's actually quite easy to explain. So when we think about, say, a heavy metal like mercury or cadmium, when it goes in the cell, if we've got a low membrane potential, so like I said earlier, if, if somebody's got membrane potential of 400 millivolts, that's really healthy. So, so the mercury will go in and it'll come back out by itself. And things like zinc and magnesium don't mind about the the potential around the cell, they'll come in and out happily. So unfortunately, what happens is when the we, we lose our redox or uh, electric potential of our cells, say it went down to 200, the, the mercury will go in, but then it won't come out again because the charge on the cell isn't right. So if you try and force it out with chelators or something rough, you're just going to upset a load of other things in the body. I mean, some might come out because the big problem with mercury says it doesn't, the brain, for whatever reason, holds on to toxins and, and the tissues in the body can actually manage the mercury fine. So you can do a detox, disrupt the mercury in the peripheral tissues, and then it could all go and end up in your brain because the redox or the charges on your on your cells are wrong. So the metals go in and they won't come out. However, things like magnetism, I'll use a magnetico as an example. It's just a giant magnet. And like I said right at the beginning, as the earth has evolved, we've lost a lot of the magnetic field. I can't remember. I think it's, it's something. Do you know the exact amount? It's something way more than half. So we've lost our natural. Mm -hmm. there's the, so we've got less magnetism. So we, when people go on a, on a magnet or a magnetic field or even grounding, that's going to raise the redox potential of the cell. And then the toxins or the mercury are going to come out by themselves. That would just be the example of using mercury, cadmium, lead, things like that that go in and then refuse to come out until the redox potential is high enough. So that's the main reason why people would use it's Dr. Dean Bonnelly, and he's passed away now, but he had a very deep understanding of magnetism and detox. So that, that would be one thing that if somebody's interested in starting a detox, it would be worth grounding more just because you're just going to have more access to magnetism. And you might find that just doing that alone is enough to help your cells push the toxins out by themselves. The other thing about redox and having a low redox is it's basically implying that that person has a sort of flat battery. So it could be that we'll talk about exclusion zone water or structured water because when the the, the gel like water or the the fourth phase it separates out and we have an exclusion zone and everything gets excluded from this exclusion zone including toxins so so if we work on increasing the amount of structured water we've got so this would be first of all getting more sunlight because red light structures water and then say improving the function of the mitochondria so we weren't going to go into food but a diet like a, a ketogenic diet would produce more water just because fat produces more water that's more equivalent and then protein and then carbohydrates but leaving food aside for people that aren't interested in that 
getting red light from the sun is another way to expand the exclusion zone in your in your body so this exclusion zone like i said can help push toxins out naturally and again we haven't taken any nasty things disturbed anything in the body we found a way to get it out naturally and then the other important thing that to keep to, to gain to keep it not too complicated is a lot of life is about collecting as much electrons as possible and keeping them because that's going to raise your redox so yes i said we can get electrons from food but only some then we need to get more electrons from say structured water that we would drink from a spring we can ground more we can go out in the sun more and then we can gather up a lot of electrons. We basically charged up our own batteries. Then if we avoid things like non-native EMFs, which are going to steal electrons and EMFs make the exclusion zone smaller. So, so you've just got less exclusion zone to deal with your toxins. And then things like alcohol, which is an oxidizing agent, is going to steal electrons as well. So alcohol is one of these things. I know people like it, but unfortunately, if you're trying to gather in electrons, and you've got a low redox, it's going to steal more of your electrons. But I'd say it's not as nearly as bad electron stealer as, as, as tech. So again, uh, people blame alcohol for all sorts of things, but we've lived with that for millions of years. We're kind of used to it now, whereas the tech is all brand new to us and it is a terrible electron uh, thief. So you would say from just because tech and blue light operates from a physics standpoint, that is a bigger electron stealer than the chemical substance of alcohol. Yeah, because it's like it's the exposure. I'm, I'm not. Say, I'm not saying alcohol is okay. I'll, I'll phrase it in a different way. We, we've got an enzyme called alcohol dehydrogenase, so we've got the capacity to deal with alcohol because we've been exposed to it. So it's not like it's okay, but we've developed some sort of defense against it. Right. And usually, unless somebody's an alcoholic, that they, they they expose themselves to it maybe on a Friday night. But unfortunately, where it's like the a thousand cuts kill you, not one gigantic one. And I think that's the problem because. Because if we drink too much alcohol, we feel awful. So we know, whereas we kind of can play on tech, go to the movies and we, and we don't notice because it kind of builds up. So that's the insidious side of, of the tech. And it's fun as well. So, so, so I think that's wherein lies the issue. It's like the dose always dictates the poison. That's when you want to sort of, you know, look into how harmful something is. But, but I was just saying that if somebody wanted to do a detox, I would first of all try and do a dopamine detox or a tech detox because it doesn't involve fiddling around with chemicals you don't understand or disturbing heavy metals or plastic or pesticides in you or people get obsessed with parasites as well again something we've lived with for a long time i would think i know why not do a tech and dopamine fast first if you're really into that because people might not have done that before and then when we come into juice fast and stuff like that that has a, has a different purpose but then again you could always accidentally put a load of glyphosate back into yourself use doing a juice fast and glyphosate's a really fascinating quantum molecule because it d does all sorts of mischief with our with our fascia and our glycine and, and our fascia is a place where we can make electrons as well so so you could actually end up doing lots of juice fasts fast eating lots of glyphosate and that messing up your collagen and having less electrons and defeating the purpose of your detox. So that's that's what I would suggest for people who are interested in detoxing. Just try it and see how you feel because you don't know what you don't know. Right. So and another aspect of the juice cleansing is if you are in the winter and you get a juice cleanse 
from a fruit that's a summer or pine, like a summer fruit, then there's that circadian mismatch with the light in the food, right? So we can tie this into the the quantum lens of diet, seasonality, locality. I think food is important, but oh, we yeah, don't want to throw it out, throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? It just needs to be recontextualized in a bigger scope. And I think quantum biology provides that wider context. So could you elaborate on the quantum lens of food? Okay, so as you mentioned fruit, and also because we were talking about melatonin and information and orbitals and how light can shine on on something biological, and it looks the same, but it's changed its properties via electrons or altering hydrogen bonds or breaking bonds. So basically there's information stored in, say, a watermelon that's grown in Costa Rica. So it knows it was grown there and it's sort of been exposed to to the sun at a particular angle at a particular time. So it's collected information all about being in Costa Rica. So in order to match that information with, a, say, if a person is about to eat the watermelon and they eat it, the mitochondria or, or straight away uh, were expecting something like a watermelon or, or a pineapple because the human lives in the same place. So their mitochondria and biology is all being light stamped and, and it's expecting something from Costa Rica. And if, if the per- that person ate that watermelon or pineapple, it's going to match their geolocation and everything's good. So we've got coherence because that's another massive thing to do with how biochemistry works at a quantum level of coherence and incoherence, but also chaos and order, which again, chaos in a quantum way we can translate as, as inflammation and incoherence or incoherent waves could also create chaos and inflammation in the body. So, so what I'm saying is that if you, if I at a a watermelon or a pineapple from Costa Rica, it would be incoherent with my current environment and it would confuse my mitochondria because the light signal isn't what they're expecting. They're expecting something with a UVI index of seven or something and a given amount of flux and light. So eating a fruit from the wrong place, it doesn't necessarily, even though it's summer here, the, the, the pineapple or the watermelon if from Costa Rica isn't a match. There's plenty of other fruit I can eat here, like we've got blackberries and apples. So that would be no problem whatsoever, because even though people have worries about sugar and fruit and, and stuff like that, it does provide useful information. It provides structured water and it's very easy to, de- to deplete deuterium at this time of year. And also hormonally, we're, we're set up at the moment to, to be mating and breeding. So, so we naturally, our insulin levels are different, our sex hormones are different, our thyroid is different. It's all geared for eating fruit because we've done that for the past sort of millions of years. But again, it's about eating the fruit that lives close to you so that you don't create confusion. When it comes to winter, from a quantum perspective with food, if we look at animals and stuff like that, the mammals, a lot of them would either hibernate so they don't eat anything, so they're just going to use their own body fat, or sort of things like cats and dogs would go more sort of keto or ketogenic. They'd eat just meat and protein. And again, we, even though we think we're something else, we're still a mammal. So we are designed to go into ketosis in the winter. It's it's not stressful. It's much easier. It's a really good time for fasting because naturally that's when there would have been scarcity. Also from a what what grows at that time of year, not not very much. 
And back looping back to melatonin again, people really misunderstand and misuse the winter because it's a really good opportunity to do lots of healing. Because first of all, you, you can use the cold like we were talking about, but also because it's dark, we can make loads and loads and loads more melatonin. Then in order to not create inflammation it would be unwise to ship in fruit and vegetables from another country in winter because you've got a location and a seasonal mismatch now it would be more sensible to stick to what was around you if the keto diet is very boring for you or you can't do carnivore you can have a few a little bit of carbs just to for sort of i was going to say entertainment value it's not going to damage you i don't want to frighten people off but as i was saying before when you've got predominantly fat and protein going in, your your mitochondria are going to produce more light and more de- deuterium depleted water. So again, as I, I can't emphasize enough how important the water we produce is. So, so that would be a, a sort of brief example of seasonal circadian eating. We haven't gone into DHEA yet and seafood because that's something that ideally, you know, if it's available, we, we should have it all year round because Back to magnetism again, DHEA from from not supplements, but from food is paramagnetic because the electrons are in an SN2 position. But also what DHEA does, it doesn't just stabilize membranes. It it, tra- it collects light at the, at the surface of the body, changes it into direct current and then turns it back to light again inside the body. So it's a really magical, clever molecule. We can also obliterate our DHEA with too much tech use. So it's more than just this omega-3 that's good for your brain. It's kind of been conserved for millions of years. So that's one thing that you'd have all year round is the DHEA. That's the sort of the the common denominator. And even for people who are plant-based, the algae, algae make good. You can get decent enough DHEA from algae. It's not ideal, but people are cottoning on now about you can't just blast things in a laboratory. You've got to prepare them as close as they are to nature because there's, like I was saying, the SN2 position is again a quantum version of DHA and sometimes something that's just been sort of abused in a laboratory it has lost that that magnetic paramagnetic property and the other thing about omega-3s that people should know anyway is they're very very sensitive to light and heat so if someone can guarantee me my supplements being cold and dark i might consider it but again that's i would say that dhea is another sort of very sort of quantum food there is a paper i can't remember exactly which scientist it was by it was about 10 years ago who alluded to the fact that dhea was a quantum molecule so it is not just us making stuff up there's there's science behind it for people who want to explore further i think that was michael crawford yes yes i read that paper too it's fascinating oh, well, no, I, I did. I, when I did an interview with Dr. Cruz, I did read all of the references and I do. I couldn't remember the name and I didn't want to make something up. But yeah, thank you that you you had his name. Yes. So one thing that stood out to me in that whole thread was there's a lot of nuance to the whole food discussion. You oh, There's a lot of factors you want to consider where I was in the food space for a couple of years and I'd, I'd jump from camp to camp. And they were all pretty axiomatic about the rules. One of them demonized carbs in all situations, the other fats and proteins in all situations. And I was caught up in these paradoxes and contradictory information. And so what you laid out just now is that there's context and appropriate 
a suitability for all these foods besides the HA. We want we want that all year, right? So it gives room for all people of all diet preferences, what they're accustomed to. That's another reason why I love the quantum lens. It just gives room for everyone. Oh, oh yeah, definitely. Because I'm actually trained in medical ketogenic diets. And, and if somebody wanted to be vegan, I'd be able to do it with them. I've done it myself. And, you know, of, of in terms of spiritual journeys, I do understand why, you know, from a spiritual perspective, why sometimes people don't eat meat. Like I'm doing something at the moment for a spiritual glass ceiling, but it's the middle of summer. So it doesn't make any difference if I'm not going to have meat for a bit. But, but then I'm doing it for a very, it's like horses for courses. I'm not, I would never put it on the internet or try and preach it to anybody because a lot of things are about it depends on the context are you trying to heal something where do you live how old are you you, you know what, what what if somebody might just really not want to eat meat and it's like well okay that's fine we don't have to bully you and humiliate you and shame you just find something what's the best quantum vegan meal can, can we make based on where we live because you know, you, you can always uh, get round things. So that's what I also like about the quantum. It's of course I take on board and understand nutrition, but I I wouldn't be dogmatic about it or bully people. Uh, and also, I, there are people who are breatharians in our quantum space, and I and I know them, and, and they do genuinely not eat, and that's fine. You know, because it's back to this idea about they've learnt or they are adapted towards getting their electrons from the sun, the sea, and the sand and the grass. So I, I sometimes think there's just, again, we have this obsession and, and we, we we get sort of think we have to take minerals and stuff every single day and vitamins. I'm sure our ancestors didn't. And, and I just think this idea of putting too many chemicals or supplements or whatever, you know, I'm sure they, you know, I know full well things have got amazing benefits, but there's only so much that our biochemistry can manage that's not us. And again, some people say, if you can't make it, don't take it. So I, I agree with you that I've gone all over the place and sat on the fence and jumped camps and tried everything because I think it's to do with, if you want to work with people, you can't, enforce your food views on them because food is also very quantum and an emotional and it's very familial it's very cultural you could separate somebody from their culture and family by forcing a certain way of eating on them and again i live in a very multicultural area and i have and i talk a lot with people who are indian or pakistani and they have a terrible time eating their diet in the uk because we've got the sun problem yet when they go back and eat their own food in, in under their own environment all their problems go away and they haven't changed anything they still eat the chapatis and the curry and everything all they've done is gone somewhere somewhere else gone back to where there was more sunlight and there'll be other factors that, that are different so again sometimes i think location is is overlooked massively when picking a way of eating for somebody like if i had to make a way a ketogenic diet for somebody in iceland versus somebody in mexico even if they were identical in age weight problems it would still be two completely different ketogenic diets right and to really drive home that location point just to turn it up to point where it's understandable if i take the most perfect diet, hypothetical diet ever, but I eat it on Mars, it's not going to have much of an effect, right? There's all these other factors that are obviously missing. But when we go back to Earth, that those factors just become more subtle. And we overlook that subtlety and the powerfulness of that nuance 
because it's physics and it drives biochemistry from a deeper level. So I want to go back to to what you said in the beginning. You said that you tried everything. There were problems that you couldn't fix in yourself and others. And I assume quantum biology really helped you bridge some gaps and got some results. So could you elucidate on your personal experience? Okay, so the the experiences came around diabetes, not not me, some, some clients who just kept coming back. And as we discussed earlier, they were pretty good with their way of eating. Every now and again, they'd slip off the bandwagon and create a disaster. But as soon as they... You know, it took several goes to really hammer this light thing home. Uh, And now they've actually got more wiggle room with their food because, again, they were finding they couldn't eat with their families. And now I said, right, you can either, you know, be like this forever or you can do something about this light, like get rid of your LEDs, get red, you know, basically do everything, go all in just for 90 days. And it made a massive difference. Uh, And the diabetes doesn't keep, it's not like this thing. I I wouldn't, you know, it's all, I would almost say they, they would almost say they're cured or it's gone into remission it hasn't come back and yet they were going berserk with different medications and you know being strict with their ways of eating breaking it and ruining the blood sugar for days and now they've got more wiggle room the other things that were problems were stuff like insomnia and mental health problems because i think that's that those are huge for quantum because People don't know about the UVA rise and how important that is. And also people don't understand that that they can do the best evening routine, quantum biology wise, but if they didn't get up in the morning, it's not going to work properly. Then I think another thing quantum based was I've got some clients who are very wealthy and they still drink tap water. So that was that they had the whole water education and as much as they wanted to poo poo it because they because that money wasn't a barrier we could sort of get filters and things in straight away you know it, it not to put anybody off you, do, you don't need to be a millionaire or anything to, to drink proper water but they could just implement it there wasn't any arguing about quinton or you know and lemma ones they were what they were like okay well you've told me this tap water's rubbish and dead and incoherent I want to make live water then. So I I want everything. I want to do it all now. And and the difference was like massive. And that's when when you can actually do an experiment on somebody who is willing to just go all in, that's when you can really see good good results. And then the the other examples are to do with people. It's more women in the perimenopause and menopause who, who struggle with weight. That's where leptin is really important because they've tried everything, but they've never heard of leptin. And that's the master metabolism hormone. So that's where the quantum biology was a massive needle mover and game changer. The current thing I'm in, I'm doing some training with Tom Cowan next month because he he has an understanding of quantum biology and somebody else who's a cancer expert, because I think that's the other thing that's really bothering me is we've, we've got plenty of medication and diets and things for cancer. I'm not going to go into some quantum unusual quantum diets now but i think the light and and the emfs because emfs are just invisible light i I think that's where my focus is going to go next for people is really honing in on what can i do quantum wise for people who've got cancer because it's not just seeing the sunrise cutting the blue light we've got the red light therapy we've got the deuterium you know and, and other aspects so, so that's where I would say that the important wins are. The other thing which is important is there's a lot of chronic fatigue and chronic pain around and people have tried everything 
And like I said before, sometimes it's just a circadian mismatch. Your body's so confused about what time it is. It doesn't know whether it's meant to be sleeping or running a marathon. So it'll the default state is to go and hide in bed. And then the same with pain, because pain can sometimes just be a warning. You're doing something your body doesn't like. And if you've got a terrible body clock or, or you're just simply not getting enough light, your body's going to sort of warn you. You're doing, And it's not very good at telling you. And a lot of people have found that they've resolved chronic fatigue and chronic pain with quantum biology because it's very gentle. It doesn't involve sort of having to do rigorous exercise or it's not expensive. Very simple things like fixing the body clock, which is free, or going out in the sun, which is free. And a lot of other free things like grounding has been a massive help for, for people with because chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia-like things encourage people to stay inside more so, so they act, it actually gets worse and worse and worse so that's the only barrier is the mindset thing they've got to actually take the plunge so, so that's where i would say quantum biology has got a lot of power in all of those things that we 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 don't have the answers for in conventional medicine autoimmune diseases is another one you can't just turn off the immune system with things like methotrexate, it's more than that. And again, there'll be things like autism as well, which has a big quantum component too, because that's again on the rise. Yeah, I think what you're alluding to is if you address all these problems from a fundamental root level, all the downstream things, no matter what manifestation it is, autism, diabetes, cancer, all of them on some level will be positively impacted. And with quantum biology, you know, I see it every day. I see people under blue light, drinking the fluoridated water, surrounded by technology. And I see people 10 years down the same line in the same career. And they've gotten, they've gained weight, they've had health problems. And it's called getting older now. Yeah. And I'm just kind of like, man, there's nobody that knows about this. And it takes all the quantum biology, takes all those factors and turns them all upside down and turns all of them into a fixable problem. And not only that, but gives a pathway to health optimization. Like you don't have to be old 30, you know? So, oh, definitely. But also the other thing we didn't get into is how light and DNA communicate because yes. genetics is like only, you know, even though I have a degree in genetics, it pretty much is useless. It's like the environment <laughs> is the thing that pulls the trigger and people get hung up on SNPs and MTHFR. Well, it, we've had these SNPs. They all have a purpose. It's our environment that's the problem. And like like we've said, you can't hurt yourself with quantum biology because with 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 changing your ways of eating, people some people do have horrible reactions to being plant-based or keto or carnivore. Whereas to, to go back to observing the sun and, and standing on the ground outside, you, you can't hurt yourself and you're not going to hurt yourself making structured water or people who are spiritual and love putting affirmations like writing them. Well, you can always put them mentally into water you know, you're not going to hurt yourself doing that. And also it doesn't have to be expensive either. Yes, you have to be a bit careful about quantum marketing, but the, in, ultimately where people go wrong is in, in we can all do, we can all be more quantum if we tried. I think you alluded to it right at the beginning about, you know, a lot of it is we think we're doing it right, but when somebody else comes and looks at what we're doing, they, even like if you looked at what I do, you'd find something, oh, you can improve there or mm -hmm. this, that and the other, even if Carrie looked at me or vice versa, yes. 
that there's always something to do with nature or the sun or light that, that we just haven't thought about or thought it doesn't matter. And it's actually a lot easier back to the clients and people. They're much more willing to cha- make quantum changes than they are food changes uh, because food is sort of much more emotionally rooted. Um, yeah. yeah. That's super important to actually get people to do the change. Costs you nothing. You don't have to change what you eat. Just do the things differently. And let's give the people an action step. Like we've alluded to it. It's free, easy. Doesn't it does it's gentle. What's the 80-20 of application for quantum biology? What do what do you mean? Like what's the okay? blocking blue light at night and seeing i would say if people if i had to make them do two i'd say see the uva rise for an hour don't worry about the sunrise yet and block the blue light for two hours before bed that that's i would say is that if someone's not doing those two things that those are those are the two big needle movers because again if you can sleep better everything's going to be better obviously there's like hundreds more things but as as mm-hmm. we've said so sometimes people can't make changes straight away and also they need to sort of buy into this but again looping back to what we were talking about at the beginning how we are light of course light is going to affect us and light is the primary driver of metabolism anyway whether people like it or not because you know we can go for 40 days without food but imagine having we we die if we get if we're kept awake for more than seven days. I can't remember the exact number, but people try and stay, they're these crazy experiments and people go completely mad within three days usually, whereas anybody can not eat for three days. I mean, we could all probably not eat for 40 if, you know, there was a million dollars at the end. But yes, so so I think it's just, like you said, it's it's low-hanging fruit is how I view it. 100%. So to wrap this episode up for our spiritual folks, we have a scientist here. I've always been interested in the intersections between science and spirituality. And spiritual practices entail improving one's state of being, feeling better, controlling one's thoughts, catching the ego at work. And I've always thought it to be fascinating what that would do to our water. Because I'm sure concentrating on love, spiritual principles would produce a lot of coherence in our water networks and maybe there's some magnetism to it too so could you what is your you know take on a spiritual practice translating into a gross chemical manifestation i would first of all say that because like you know like what should we say sound people can argue whether light or sound created the universe and some people say one some will say the other the power mm. of the human voice is enormous. So I suppose from being a hypnotist, I don't, I can't tell you whether it's telepathy, my voice altering somebody's structured water, but there's definitely much more to it than just psychology because it, 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 I've just seen and done so many weird things that I can't possibly explain. But, but when, if you want to actually boil down what's the link, I would say the ether, that that's where I'm in at the moment. That's the current rabbit hole of of interest for me and and I think we've massively underestimated how much how powerful our minds are and again the, the a thought wave whatever it might be has the ability to create coherence in, in biological molecules that are beyond us 
is is what I, is where I'm at now. I mean, yes, I've followed Rupert Sheldrake a lot, and you know, I don't dispute any of the morphic fields or you know, or telepathy. I just don't know how it works yet. But again, I would, you know, the, the, to some extent, I'm not saying I'd know how to do it, but you know, you can learn how to do things like that, and it's not far fetched. So that's that's from a sort of scientific point of view. But also having worked in a lab for a long time, different people and their intentions do affect the experiments all the time. And we never we notice it all the time and we never say anything. And any any scientist will tell you that there's always somebody in the lab, whatever they're in it, nothing works. So that there's a lot more to what we project either uh, it's based it's intention based again that's very strongly what Rupert Sheldrake says the intention and if you want to get really deep into sort of things like the force v power and stuff about thoughts they're a bit like EMFs apparently that once you've made a thought and put it out there it's there forever and that's another problem with EMFs once we've made one it's there bouncing around sort of in our atmosphere So, so I think like to, to kind of close it up, that even though thought is not tangible sort of physically, I, I think that's something that's really captivated my interest at the moment is how, how do the thoughts and ethers and ether, how, how does that work? How do things, does, it does, is distance even real? You know, I mean, with distance healing or distance hypnosis, you know, f- from a quantum perspective, it, it's irrefutable that you can do things at, at a distance. So this comes into things, again, moving at the faster than the speed of light, which they've measured. There's, I can't remember the exact experiment, but it was something like at least, I can't remember if it was 20 or 20,000 times the speed of light. So, so there's, mm-hmm. That's the that's the science that's exciting me at the moment. That level of stuff beyond Einstein and beyond David Bohm, basically. Yeah, the 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 thing that excites me about science the most is it it will always it's eventually going to prove what's always been true that we live in a spiritual universe, and it's just the left brain interpretation of a grand, un incomprehensible creation. And it's just a, a fascinating synthesis of the two, two different viewpoints. And science is like determining the details of what God was thinking. And oh, yeah, like the giant mind. But also back to the idea of coherence. A lot of the time, if you want to get to the next level, your right and left brain need to be coherent mm-hmm. because 95% of the time they're not. It's like we are, t- you know, two people. And yes, we can describe it as our, our true self and the ego as well. But in terms of flow states and production, because I know some people are interested in that aspect of, you know, enlightenment, as we would call it, of what would happen if they could get their right and left brain to be coherent? What kind of superpower would that unlock? But then you are, you know, another way you were talking earlier about the fractals that the Hindus, I think, describe it as there's the moon up in the sky and then there are buckets out, you know, with water in them and where the buckets of the reflection of the moon, but we're all together. There's a whole, we're all the buckets together and we're a reflection of the, the, the moon and we're, we're fundamentally all the same. Yeah, that gets into stuff like sort of, well, I couldn't work out Meister Eckhart for a long time about, you know, we are God in, in ourselves as well. But, but then it, this comes into like conscious, being a conscious creator and how people misunderstand things like the secret and mm-hmm. the law of attraction. And they're not, they don't realize how to use their brains properly to make something manifest in the physical world that was wrought from, say, the ether, which again, we could just say it's an idea. 
you know, you have to still bring that idea into practice. And also this loops back to Rupert Sheldrake is that if all, you know, you've got to be, if you have an idea and you want to do something and it's quite novel, you need to be quick. Because as soon as I start thinking my idea, I've put that out into the, into the quantum field. And we know full well that it's much more likely somebody else is now going to get that idea at the same time. So it becomes a race to make the new thing. So this is what I always try to tell people to do. If you've got an idea, do it. Because if you don't, somebody else will steal it. Even if it's all in your head, you think it's in your head, but it's not really. Yeah, I just I've been doing that now. I had this idea to start this show to really connect the dots between science and spirituality, and I'm just doing it. And so, I'm I'm think this is a good place to conclude the episode. And I thank you, Sarah, because you're the first one to have ever come on, and I would love to have you on again to discuss even more spiritual stuff. Because I I don't think I've seen an episode with you in it that's only explored that there's always been like science emphasis but it would be fascinating to jam on spirituality the the queer things you've seen and how they just are out of explanation so it's been a pleasure the wizards exist and is magic real that kind of stuff yeah well it's been a great honor to be the first one on but i think also you know now the ball's rolling that if you didn't start this podcast now there's plenty of other people who are going to start them and then you know if you get in early you can get massive in the quantum field because because you know it's just a new field so you know it'd be really i'm really excited to see where this goes and to see who's on next or carries on next so that'll be a really good episode that will be i'm excited Awesome. Thank you so much, Sarah. And I will have you guys back on for the next episode of the Lighthouse Podcast. Take care.